Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese-American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S.-Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese-Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Samos, and I'm here with my co-host, Dinesh Borges. Hi, Dinesh. How are you? Hello, Angela. Great to be here. I'm fine. Thank you. Good, good. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in California. Not to rub it in for the East Coasters, <laughs> but we are happy to have a fellow Californian on our podcast today, one of many that we've had. But I'd like to introduce Dennis Brazil, who is an open candidate for state senate. Uh, District 12 here in California. So welcome, Dennis. Thank you very much for having me uh, on your podcast. And um, I enjoy um, talking to you guys about the uh, Senate race that's going on here in California in District 12. Awesome. So um, as with all of our interview, uh, all of our guests, we'll just start out by asking you to give a little bit about your background and you know, how did you get involved in public service and run for office? I know you've held positions in like city council, things like that. So tell us a little bit about your path. Great. Yeah. So I'm born and raised in Los Banos, California. I'm 59 years old. I grew up in our family agricultural business um, that we still have till this current day. It's six, coming up on 60 years old. In the, in, in the early 90s, I decided to leave our family business and go into the food processing business where I've worked out for 27 years for a local company in Los Banos, California. And um, in 2005, I decided to relocate from Los Banos to Gustine, California. And while I was in Gustine, a couple of my friends that were formerly from Los Banos were part of the city council and mayor. And uh, in 2009, they contacted me and asked me to start thinking about running for mayor for the 2010 election. At first, I told him I wasn't interested that, you know, I had a lot going on at work and I'm busy all the time. But after a few inquiries from the other elected officials on the council and then the business and citizens, um, I decided to file my paperwork and, and run for the mayor seat for Gustine. So I had no plans of ever getting into politics ever, never even thought about it. But after winning the election, I won with about 78% of the votes in the town as the wow. as new, kind of the new kid on the block. Yeah. I won by what they call landslide and I fell in love with it. And I fell in love with it for the right reasons because I am the type of person that I want to help everybody. And in order to be a good elected official, that should be your primary goal. So the first year, obviously, is a, is a learning curve, you know, for becoming an elected official and really seeing what, how the process works at a local level. But I learned very fast, and, and, and it was very evident that there was a need for elected officials that really cared about their position and what they were really representing. And as the second year rolled on into the mayorship, um, I became heavily engaged in the San Joaquin Valley advocating for everyone that needed help. Our Portuguese descent, the water shortage of the San Joaquin Valley, issues with immigration, issues with homelessness. And as the years keep clicking off, I became more and more engaged in the political process. In 2014, 
the current senator, Anthony Canella, um, reached out to me and asked me to consider running for the Senate seat in 2018. And at first I told him that I need to really think about it. And I did a little checking around. I, I did some background about the district and what it takes to run this district. And after about six months, I met back in Sacramento at uh, the senator's office, and I told him I was in. So we actually started working on the Senate race in 2014, and um, and I'm glad I did because um, as the as this is unfolding now, and we're seeing who the candidates are, there is only a couple of us that are actually what we consider qualified for the seat. So I'm I'm very happy and very fortunate that I had the opportunity to run for mayor, which has put me in a position to run for one of the most important seats in the San Joaquin Valley, the state senate seat for District 12. Mr. Brazil, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, District 12 itself? Uh, what geographical area, a little bit more, I know it encompasses, of course, the city that you were mayor for, but um, a little bit about some of the issues as well. You mentioned water. Obviously, that's a big concern for all of California and most certainly the San Joaquin Valley. But you also mentioned a couple other issues that are very pertinent to uh, many parts of the valley in California. The issue with immigration and uh, obviously the issue with homelessness, which sometimes people don't associate with California. But there is an issue here. So mm-hmm. uh, talk to us, if you don't mind, a little bit about, first of all, uh, what what. What is the geography of the of District 12 for the state Senate and, and, and some of the major issues that concern you? Yes, absolutely. So District 12 is one of the largest districts in the state of California. It encompasses six counties, San Benito County, Monterey County, Fresno County, Madera County, Merced County, and Stanislaus County. If you're in the political world and you're talking about districts, this is a powerhouse swing vote district. Um, so powerful in some in some cases, in some instances, that the current senator was the swing vote on the gas tax that passed the gas tax. So this is this is why this seat is so sought after and has become such a political hotspot right now as we roll into this 2018 election. And if you're if you're going to run for this. For this Senate seat, this district is very diversified. Has a lot of issues because it encompasses two valleys: the San Joaquin Valley and the Salinas Valley. So you have one valley, the San Joaquin Valley, which is still in somewhat of a water crisis issue, and you have the does not have any water crisis issue, but struggles with other issues with labor and um, some of the immigration issues and, and the dreamers and DACA that fall into place that are, that are affecting these jobs. Along with the district itself, you have the, uh, all the other districts that border around it, especially on the San Joaquin Valley side that are facing the same issues. And this is gonna take some work together to get all these things done. I believe in what, what I call the three C's, communication, compromise, and common sense. The middle C, is the one that gets the other two C's done. Without it, there's without compromise or bipartisanship, there is there's no deals to be had because they draw the line in the sand and everything stops. Mm-hmm. Um, I also believe that you need to do, as elected official, your job is to do what's right for everyone and not someone. And what we've seen taking place here, or what I have, with, especially as my during my mayorship, and then now as I've taken a break for since 2016 to get ready for the Senate race, we've seen that 
the parties are divided and they're in on the water they're helping each other but not on anything else and we want to make sure that one of the things that we're bringing to the table on our campaign platform is that we are all about bipartisanship because we can watch it from the federal level to the state and even at some of the local levels it doesn't happen very often immigration right now the federal laws especially with DACA and the Dreamers, they are what fuel the labor source for the San Joaquin Valley and for the Salinas Valley. And without us finding something that's going to resolve the issues of immigration, we still are going to be fighting the same problems as we roll into 2018 and 19. And I don't think it's building the wall or separating ourselves or drawing the line in the sand. To me, that's not compromise. That's not bipartisanship. This is a country of immigrants and it belongs to everyone. And our belief as the Senate race for Dennis Brazil for state Senate is that we want to make this that works for everybody. Everybody has the chance to live in a clean, safe environment. And by doing that, it takes a lot of bipartisanship and both parties need to realize that to work to get along. But you also have issues with high speed rail. Um, it is literally spending trillions of dollars into this high-speed rail program that is like dragging an anchor in the sand. It was moved into the Fresno County area to start the track and to be built because Fresno was the only city in the San Joaquin Valley that agreed to let them start to build track because the train is not a very popular train when you start talking to the average citizen. It's only been on the hot seat or on the top of the profile on the governor's side. But if you start talking to citizens out in your field or out in the district, you will find very quickly that there's very few supporters of the high speed rail. And when you look at all the problems that we have in our in, in the district, but in the state itself, and you see trillions of dollars being spent on these things, this is my common sense approach, part of one of the three C's, is that there's other places that money can be spent. I'm not saying that the high speed rail is not a good project. I just don't agree with the location on where it's at. We own the property on Interstate 5 from one end of the state to the other, yet they chose the 99, the Highway 99 corridor path, and they're taking intimate domain all the way through it. I don't believe in that. I, I think that, you know, when, when you have viable options like Interstate 5, where this thing would have been in full construction mode and moving along very quickly, yet we're dragging an anchor in the dirt going across the San Joaquin Valley, and it's going to continue to be a fight. With such a big district, and there's so many different issues that you've mentioned, even in just the last couple minutes, um, where do you find that the Portuguese community engages the most? Is it around, uh, I guess, water issues? I mean, I can't imagine that it would be around immigration too much anymore, or or is it? I, we could be surprised there. Um, where do you, you know, find? Actually, yeah, where do you find that? It it actually. Angela, it still is even around um, our Portuguese descent. So we have not only dairymen across the San Joaquin Valley that come into play, but these larger dairies employ a lot of labor. And a lot of that labor is the Hispanic labor that's being affected by immigration, um, along with Portuguese uh, descent farmers that have that are third or fourth generation. I'm a fourth generation Portuguese agriculturalist that my great-great-grandfather came from the Azores, started with a small dairy. His son took that over, and then 
as my father and his brothers were growing up, they slowly shut that dairy business down and started their own trucking business and hay business and kind of diversified in a different way. But you still have these same scenarios throughout the whole San Joaquin Valley um, of Portuguese descent that are in every sector of agriculture, whether it's dairy, raising cattle or farming, they're, they're involved in it and their labor force requires a lot of the um, Hispanic community that's being affected by labor. And you're mm-hmm. going to see these numbers grow. I don't know if, if you guys were aware, but the government is looking at dereg or not deregulating, but stopping the assistant program for the milk price for dairy for dairies across California. Mm-hmm. This is going to change the game as far as dairies because the supplement um, before, when milk prices were too low, that the government was taking care of. Once this stops, I, my guess is going to be there's going to be a lot of dairies that are going to probably shut down. Milk prices will change in this across the board, meaning that when we go to the store, milk is going to be a lot higher. But I think that a lot of these things, if you look, if you look back in history, you'll see that this has been coming for a long time, and this is part of the balance in the system that we get. The system seems to get out of balance, and rather than try to address it right away so that we can save it, we seem to be stalling too far behind the problem. And then by the time we try to do something, it's already past the curve. And this is one of the things on our Senate platform that we want to stop. We want to be proactive, not reactive, to try to help all these issues. And so you're kind of saying, if I'm, if I'm reading it correctly, that uh, while maybe, you know, when your great-grandfather and other grandparents of uh, many of us in the Portuguese-American community came over, or those of us like myself who came over with our parents in the 1960s and 70s, the last wave of immigrants that you, as you know very well by living in Los Banos and Castine, you know, the immigration has always been an important part or immigration issues of uh, who we are in America. Now, because uh, immigration has ceased from uh, uh, Portugal and from the Azores uh, mainly um, uh, for the last uh, 40 years, as dairy owners and as owners in these of these agricultural enterprises, Portuguese Americans are faced with the same issues because they need the the labor that used to be the Portuguese immigrant of forty years ago, which today is the immigrant from Mexico. Correct? That is one hundred percent correct. Yes, that is one hundred percent correct. So we still have labor issues to deal with in immigration, and it affects our our farming community. That's correct. And, you know, also, if you look at our, our society on the, on the Portuguese side in California, so years ago, as we, as our grandparents and great grandparents came into this country, almost all of them started in the dairy business or some type of farming business. But you're seeing those generations now, those third and fourth generations like myself, they're not staying in the agricultural business. And they're going to college and getting an education and getting a degree and they're becoming lawyers and doctors and, and whatever their dreams are. So you're, you're seeing what I believe the, the Portuguese society growing in the vast economy of not only California, but America and around the world. Because before, it seems like you were always put in a sector and then that's where your culture kind of stayed. And those days, we live in the 21st century, we're in the millennium. And I think that you're going to see the Portuguese community continue to grow and evolve around California and the United States and become some of the most predominant business uh, men and women uh, in the world today. 
In regards to, uh, uh, for example, I know that last year you participated in the uh, California Portuguese American Coalition, the CPAC um, convention or summit, better said, in Sacramento, and that kind of gave an opportunity for uh, a few uh, Portuguese Americans in public office, actually about 35, to be present. Uh, from your perspective, as someone who lives in the Valley and is contacted with Portuguese Americans at all levels, how do you think uh, this is uh, of importance as far as uh, creating kind of a network between Portuguese Americans independently of, of uh, whatever political affiliation they are, but kind of a network to have a, a bigger voice in states and local governments? Yeah, great, great question and great analogy because that's exactly what it's about. It is about networking and it is about promoting our culture with, with among us to make sure that, you know, that we get a fair share of this pie that is out there in, in California um, for all um, demographic agencies that are that are involved because we want to be a part of it just like the other generations and just like the other cultures do and in order to do that you have to have a voice and you have to be able to network and i think the networking is probably one of the greatest tools of it all because with modern day technology and social media and the internet look how easy it is to connect with one another no matter where you are and i I love that part of it and a little bit about District 12, uh, circling back to that. I mean, um, I know that she, your prior experience running was, you know, for the city of Christine, and Christine is a rather, you know, smaller city in the San Joaquin Valley. This being a, a Senate seat that encompasses, you know, six uh, counties, I mean, it's kind of a, a daunting task of running a campaign, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, I, I'll tell you this is that this is what I would talk about the commitment of of whoever the candidate is, it, this is a, these districts in California are all very important, but this particular one sits in the heart of the San Joaquin Valley, in the heart of, of California. And if you're going to vie for a candidacy for this district, you are going to have to be boots on the ground. I also have a belief that as elected officials, once you're elected in office, unless you're in session in Sacramento and there's work to be done there, your job as elected officials to be in your district and to be talking and listening to the voters that represent that district. It is not to have uh, yourself sitting in Sacramento and having your staff do all your work. Um, staff is very important and, and they help you facilitate everything. They're, they are tremendously key to the success of the candidate or the elected official once they're in. But the elected official himself, the senator, needs to be in his district all the time spread out. And yeah, it's a lot of work, but this is what this is what you're getting into. And you know this going into the game. It is not a cakewalk and it takes a lot of work. But as a former mayor and getting into this Senate race, um, especially in the San Joaquin Valley side, everywhere I go that I speak to someone that doesn't even know me, the conversation is very positive, very quick when they see that you're wanting to help them achieve any of the issues, whether they're small or large, and especially when you start connecting to your Portuguese-affiliated community that's out there, um, it's even a better feeling that you have. And I love that part of it because it it is all about networking and contacting each other and working together. Remember my three C's, it's that middle C, that compromise that we all need to work on to get everything done. And we, we can't, but when you draw the line in the sand, 
as these parties do, that's where the problems usually start. But as a um, as a candidate of Portuguese American background, obviously you have to build uh, coalitions uh, with other ethnic groups because uh, we're numerically not enough to, to to elect anyone. And has that been uh, something that uh, you have found that uh, has been done with uh, with easiness? I mean, building different coalitions with all this the diverse groups that compose uh, your district. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's difficult. I think. I, Uh, a key factor is if you have good people skills and you're honest and true to what you believe in, people can see that, that you're original and that you're doing this from your heart. And I do it every day without even thinking about it. I think it's one of the reasons that so far in my political career, starting in 2010, when I ran for mayor to current time that I've been able to network and talk to everyone and, and come out of there with something positive on both sides or even learn some things that you may or may not have thought about, but somebody else brings to light. And those are all things that, to me, are tremendously important because that's listening to the people in your community and, and to the state of California. So one of the things that we you know, try to do through this podcast is encouraging more people to get involved. And you know, it doesn't always mean run for office. So given the, the wide variety of, of issues that are affecting your district, what would be your advice to people in the Portuguese community to have an impact on, you know, things affecting their community, their community, whether it be the water issue or immigration or education or anything like that? How, how do you encourage people to, you know, to get involved and make a difference? Because we all, you know, sit around the, the dinner table and talk about politics, but how do we actually go out and, and make a difference? Great question. Great question. I love it. So even for me, when I first started, the, the very first steps you can take is obviously reading the newspaper or, or watching the news. But when you really want to engage and you really want to know what's going on, you go to the city council meetings, you go to the board of supervisors meetings, you show up at other meetings at the, at the state capitol or meetings that are held in other places, but you engage at the levels where your voice is heard. Because you're right, it can't be heard from the dinner table, but it definitely can be heard in a public meeting, in the in the public comment section, or, or on an agenda item where you can speak your voice freely. And whether you're for it or against it, it's okay, because that's important too. We shouldn't always agree on everything, or we wouldn't have any democracy at all. It is about you know de deciding what is best for everyone, and sometimes you know. It's controversial and sometimes it's an easy decision, but the bottom line is at the end of the day, you need to make the right decision. But engaging at every level uh, is important. And you're right. You don't have to run for office to be engaged. You just having your voice heard. And, and sometimes you don't even need to show up to the meetings. You can do this through an email to the, you know, to the city manager, to the mayor, to the senator, to the congressman, uh, to the United States senator to get your voice heard and to get it recorded on record. And that's very important because a lot of times what happens in our society is, you know, we call it backseat drivers, right? We know that there's a lot of backseat drivers and they don't ever want to speak up. But if 50% of those people just spoke up, imagine how stronger that voice would be. And if 75%, imagine what would happen at that point. It changes the game for everything. Mm -hmm. People usually don't show up when I was mayor until after the fact when something happened. They didn't even pay no attention until they read it in the newspaper. And we need to get people engaged in the process to make the process better for everyone. Well, 
Thank you very much for your time. I think this is a very uh, interesting conversation. I wanted to, as we come to the end of our time, um, ask you a little bit about um, just a circle to, back to the um, your, the theme of your campaign, the three C's, as you call them, which I find them very interesting, especially in this time of very divisive politics at a national level or even some statewide levels. You have been, as you said, uh, contacting everyday citizens such as ourselves, you know, throughout uh, your huge uh, district. Uh, have you found in people that uh, because of you know everything that's gone on in politics, especially in the last you know couple of years, have you found that people are despairing or are they hopeful that by engaging things can really change? I, I think from what I have seen in the last, um, say, six months, they're very hopeful. And one of the comments that I get heard a lot of is that nobody ever comes and walks up to us and talks to us just like you did. Unless we go to them, we don't hear from them. And they're talking about our elected officials. And I think it's crucial that as elected officials or candidates, that you reach out and let your let their voice be heard. And it's your job to carry that voice into, into motion to make sure that their voice is heard. Um, but I think people are very hopeful, very responsive. And you're right. You know, we're in some, we're in some difficult times right now since the presidential election and the change of the two parties. And there's a lot of division going on there. And, and we need to get all that figured out too, because it's not helping us. It, it's hurting us more than anything. And we've got to, we need to do what's right for every Californian, every American, because the bottom line is we all share this earth and this, and this land together. And that's what it's all about. And a good candidate would know that. Um, I can tell you honestly that I'm not in this for personal gain or political gain. This is a 12 year seat, uh, three, four year terms. If I could do two terms at eight years and pass the torch to someone else that has the energy and the drive that I do, that would be a perfect scenario and keep the freshness and the young uh, blood coming into the politics. Because as you know very well, by just watching the news yourself, our, our political system is stalemated and we've got career politicians that have been in there way too long and we need to put term limits in place so that we keep this fair and fresh and that one side or the other doesn't control what's going on. It's an excellent point. And I think uh, that's a great place to, to wrap this up. So this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time today, Dennis. Uh, we appreciate your perspective and hope that our listeners have enjoyed uh, hearing about your, your three C's. <laughs> and uh, I think maybe if more people adopted the three C's, we might see a little bit more done. So uh, kudos to you for, for doing that. And thank you, Tanish, as well, for always being here and, and your good questions. And thanks, everybody out there for uh, spending some time with us uh, on this podcast for another episode. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, please do so. And please, please, please write us a, a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think, uh, because uh, the more reviews we get, the, the more likely others uh, are to find us on iTunes. And if you have any suggestions for us, please email us at palcus at palcus.org. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, our goal is to interview as many elected and non-elected uh, Portuguese American officials uh, throughout the country. So um, at any level, whether it's the school board, whether it's a federal level, we, we want to hear from you. We want to we talk to you. So with that, thank you, everybody. And uh, have a great day. Again, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast. Um, I was very honored to be here and you can follow me or ask me any questions uh, on my Facebook page as my contact information and uh, the 
Senate uh, email address, and I'd love to engage with uh, anyone that has any questions or suggestions. Thank you. Excellent. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. Have a great day. Thank you too. Thank you guys very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palkus.